We're so thankful that we have the Holy Spirit. We're so thankful that we have God's love and that He thought enough of us to give us His Holy Spirit. And as we grieve and as we hurt, that God's love is there and very present and, and we're able to just, He's no further away than the, the center of our chest. There's a David Crowder song that says that, that he's just, he's no further away than the center of our chest. What a great, great thing that is to recognize and remember as we're hurting. Because I, I just feel like there was a sense when the service started today that there was a sense of heaviness in here and people's hearts being broken. And I, we just had to address it. We couldn't just let it go. We had to say something about it. And God impressed that upon my heart. And I'm so thankful that we came together as a family and prayed because there's a lot of us that need encouragement today. We're in this series where we are talking about being made new. And I have something that, that burdens me very deeply that I will tell you about. Um, we talk about a lot about how some people feel like they were a second-class Christian, that because they have done something or because of something in their past, they feel like they can't really fully move on beyond that and that sometimes it just weighs so heavy on us and it actually is such a huge burden to us that we almost feel like we're not ever fully there as a Christian. Like we hang on to this thing. And in the church, there are two things. I don't know why these two things, they, aren't, they don't seem to be related in my mind, but God has put these two things in, in, on my heart. And there are two things that, that weigh very heavily on me. One is people that are divorced, that have been in a marriage previously, and that marriage fell apart for whatever reason, but they are a Christian, and they feel like they walk around with this giant D that they carry around on their shirt. That like people, there's a stigma attached to them because they were once married before and they are no longer. And maybe they're married again. I don't know what the situation may be. But I have heard this so many times from people that feel like because, because God's word says that he hates divorce. Therefore they, they take that and they translate that into meaning that, that somehow that because they have had that in their past. That somehow God holds that over their head now. And the reality is it's not God holding it over their head. Most of the time it's the people in the church that are holding it over their head. And that just bothers me. I, I, I understand that God hates divorce. I got that, okay? We all got that. We know that Jesus says that. We understand that. But the message that we preach in this place is a message of redemption and salvation and being made new. So why is it that there are so many people in the church that say, man, you need to come into this place and you need to hear about how God can make you new. And then they attach a stigma to you because you have something in your past. I think that's because a lot of times it's either something that scares them or something that they, they've never dealt with themselves. We like to point our fingers at those things, you know. Those things everybody else struggles with and not stuff we struggle with. 
We, it's real easy to point out somebody else's sin. It ain't real easy to point out our own sin. The things that I struggle with are different than the things that you struggle with. My sin is different than your sin. And I think, I think that's the reason that, that this stigma is so often attached to people, even within the church. And I think as a church, literally, oh my God, we have to be different. We have to be different. We cannot look like everybody else. We cannot preach a message of reconciliation between us and Christ and yet have this stigma that we label on people because of something in their past. It bothers me. It bothers me. And I think that's the reason a lot of people don't come to church, if I'm perfectly honest about it. Well, if I go in there, everybody's going to look at me and say, well, this is in your past, or that's in your past, and you shouldn't be up in here. I can tell you that um, both of my parents were married previously. That's a reality. And we give all these statistics about divorce in the church versus divorce in the world, and, and yeah, I got all that. I really do. But this is a place you come to hear how God can make you new. And that's the message that we preach in this place. And we're not going to put some stigma on you, some, some label on you that you've got to carry around in this place. We're going to say, you know what? You come in here, you follow Christ, you're new. And that's the end of it. Because people have a tough enough time letting go of their own stuff without somebody else hanging on to it for them. You know? I got got a very dear friend of mine, and uh, she did something in the past, a long time ago, a long time ago, and uh, she still hangs on to it a little bit, you know, and she still looks at that and says, wish I wouldn't have done that, which we all got those things right. But the truth be known is you can't even really talk about it in the church. You can't even really be open about it fully in the church because people will immediately look at you differently. It bothers me so, so much. It bothers me so deeply. I don't think it's okay, y'all. I really don't think it's okay. I think the reality is, is that we should be able to talk about our past in a way to say, not to glorify our past or the things that we've done, not the sin in our lives. We don't glorify that, but we say, this is how far I've come. This is what I used to be like, and now I'm new. And I hope that we can take that message and go tell somebody else that if they have this thing in their past, that they can be new too. That we don't have to be afraid of our past. That we don't have to be weighed down by our past. so heartbreaking for me to see the church do that we cannot do that we can't be that way we have got to be so radically different the way that the world is especially in the area of grace even if it's something that you've never struggled with even if it's something that you don't understand or even if it's something that you're afraid of we we have we had a tragedy happen in our community just here the other day and 
And there are a thousand people that would get on social media and say, I would never do that. I would never allow that to happen. That can never happen to me. There's no way that that would ever happen in my life until it happens to you. And now, now those people have to walk around with that stigma attached to them because everybody says, there's no way I would do that. There's no way I would allow that to happen in my life. There's no way that that, that could ever happen to me. We have to be so dadgum grace-filled that everybody knows it. And we cannot, we can't let that, that hanging on to stuff rule us. And Because that's what keeps people from feeling like they can fully come to Christ. That's what they feel like holds them back. That's not the message that this word teaches. That's not what God says. He says when you come, you're new. You're dead, then you're alive. That's how drastically different you are from your past to your present. So I just want to read to you from Romans chapter 8. Jameson started on this two weeks ago, and he just kind of touched on Romans chapter 8, but it reminded me how much I love Romans chapter 8. So we're just going to read it for a few minutes and see what God has to say to us. So now. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Let me read that again in case you didn't get it. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Jesus would do things three times. I'll do this three times. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Is that the message we preach? Is that the message that your life preaches, or are you too busy trying to point out something in somebody else's life that you don't preach this message with the words that come out of your mouth? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Because you're new. Because you're new. And listen to what Paul goes on to say as he's talking to the Roman church. And I can't imagine for a second, like, opening up this letter that Paul has written to us. And, you know, here we are. We're under terrible persecution, and we're, like, we could die any day, right? Like, I just imagine that you're in the Roman church. You're in the presence of people that just want to kill you. They blame you for everything that's going wrong. I say it's those Christians that are causing the problem. And you open up this letter. And Paul says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't you need to hear that about ten times a day? I know I do. I'm so jacked up, I don't even know what to do some days. And some days I just need to read that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, oh, you mean it gets better, Paul? You got more to say than that? I thought that was good enough. I thought that was enough to sustain me for, like, the rest of eternity, just on those words alone. But you got an and in there? There's more to it than that? He says, and. Have you ever read that word and just been like, whoa? (laughs) Romans 8, 2 starts with the word and. And I got cold chills. 
Just because the first word in Romans chapter eight, chapter 8, verse 2, and. Romans 8, 1 is enough to rescue us from hell. But Romans 8, 2 says and. And. Because you, you belong to him, the power of life-giving spirit has freed you. From the power of sin that leads you to death. Now, we're not talking about just life and death. We're talking about power. The power of sin. The power of the Spirit. You know, when we're feeling defeated, like we just all admitted here down at the altar. I mean, like, even if you didn't raise your hand, okay? It's okay. God knew your heart, and that's the reason God had us all come down here. God knew you. And you feel powerless, right? That's what I feel, powerless. Helpless, inept. He says the power. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. We know that sin is powerful, am I right? We know that sin has the ability to just like wreck our minds and drag us into places that we don't even want to be. We know that sin is, is, is powerful. Well, here I want you to hear what God has to say to you today, and that is, power of the spirit is stronger the life giving spirit the spirit that gives us life is more powerful than the power of sin now I know you hear that but do you live in such a way that you believe that that the sin that seems to be able to control you and control your mind and control the things you do and you're like I don't want to do that I don't want to do that and yet I still do that I really don't want to be that way, and yet here I am. I am that way. I struggle, and I come back over here, and before long, I'm right back over here again because of the power of sin. And God says to us, the power of the Spirit that gives life. You see, this Spirit that he's talking about is the, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. I don't know about you. But if you're looking for power, that's pretty powerful. The power to raise the dead is pretty daggum powerful, don't you think? As a matter of fact, I would say I don't know any other power that's greater than that. The power to raise the dead. I don't, I don't know how long this message is going to last. I may have to cut it off in two minutes. I don't know. But I'm just sitting here thinking about like that power. And so many times... So many times we feel like sin has this great power over us, and yet there is this power of the Holy Spirit that cannot be any more powerful than it is. If we believe that the Spirit has power to resurrect Jesus from the dead, then that is the same power that we believe in that has the ability to raise us from the dead, right? Because we love to talk about in Revelation chapter 21 that we'll talk about in a minute where, where God's going to have a new heaven and a new earth and, and there's going to be this Jerusalem coming down from heaven where God's going to dwell with his people. And we'll read that again in a second. We've read it every week. 
But if we believe that this spirit has the ability to raise Jesus from the dead and we believe that God will raise us from the dead, why is it we fail to believe that it has the power over sin in our lives and we don't tap into that power? We believe that it rescued us. We believe in salvation that comes from Jesus Christ and the fact that he installs his spirit inside of us, but yet we seem so inept and so incapable and so powerless in the face of the power of sin. It's because we're not thinking clearly about the power of the Spirit. We're not thinking clearly about what God has given us, the power that exists within us because He has given it to us. That's why Paul goes on to say, and because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to, to save us because of our weak and sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent down his son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control. An end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. You see what Paul is saying here? He's saying, I had to do what you couldn't do. I had to do what you couldn't do. See, you couldn't save yourself. You were made of flesh and you were sinful. You couldn't do it yourself. And we believe that the Spirit gave Jesus life. And we believe that the Spirit gives us life. And we believe, we even if we go a step further and even believe what Paul wrote, that, that the Spirit has power over the sin. And God is telling us, this simple fact you can't do it on your own if you're just going to depend on your flesh and you doing what is right you're not going to be able to do it if you're just going to be able to say I'm going to check all the boxes and I'm going to make myself right I'm going to make myself do the right thing I'm going to do this I'm going to do that then you missed everything that's the opposite of the gospel the gospel says the Spirit is who does it inside of you. When you surrender to Him and you recognize His power, that's when you are made new. We call this rebirth. You're not born of the, the flesh, but born of the Spirit. You have a brand new Spirit when you rely on His Spirit and not your Spirit. And, and you may say, what does this all have to do with the stigma that we talk about that we attach to people? It is about recognizing the new spirit that is in somebody. If we believe that that new spirit is in us, then we believe that new spirit is in them if they belong to Christ Jesus, right? We should see them as new. We should stop seeing them in light of the flesh. But we have a tendency, the more we rely on the flesh in our lives, the more we tend to see people in the flesh as opposed to see them in the spirit. You see what I'm saying? You have to look, not with the eyes that are here, but the eyes that are in here. We used to sing a song, you know, back in the 90s, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord, or maybe it's the 2000s, but you have to see from the Spirit, and that's how you see. Now, if you see just with the flesh, and you see just with your fleshly eyes, yes, you will see that stigma attached to a person, what they have done in the past, who they once were. But when you see with the Spirit, you see a brand new person.
And you cannot do that on your own. You can only do that through the power of the Spirit that God has given you. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no, no longer follow the sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. God tells us who we're supposed to listen to. Your sinful nature, you know that you, are, you have a sinful nature, right? Like you don't have to teach a three-year-old to be selfish. They're naturally selfish, am I right? Give me my toys, this is my stuff. I don't want him to touch it, I don't want her to touch it. My stuff, right? Don't touch my stuff. You don't have to teach that to a three-year-old. They just know it. It's because we have a sinful nature. Because we're naturally inclined to sin. Even at the beginning of time. Even at the very beginning of time when, when God created Adam and Eve, they still had this, this natural tendency to believe something that was a lie. And Eve believed it first, but, but Adam bought into the lie. We have this natural inclination in our being, in our flesh, to just believe a lie. And God says, don't believe a lie. Believe the Spirit. If you believe the Spirit, you'll be in alignment with me. You see, the Spirit is life-giving. But the flesh leads to death. Well, I just... I'm, I'm going to read just a little bit more, and we'll kind of wrap it up there. This is, this is at least a two-sermon series here. So, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about that would, that, things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Oh, but I want life and peace. Oh, Kenny, how can I get life and peace? I need life and peace. How do I do that? If only God's word would tell us how to have life and peace. If only he would write it down so that we would know. If only he would put it in black and white so that we didn't have to question, we didn't have to wonder, we just want to know how to have life and peace. Oh, God in heaven, please tell us. Please write it down for us. Let me repeat. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature, con uh, nature control your mind leads to death. But, le but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. There are so many people in this world that are searching for life and peace. And they say, I don't know how to do that. There are so many people in this room that say, man, I want life and peace. I just don't know how to do it. Paul takes it a, a step further. And he talks about how dangerous the sinful nature is. He says, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It's always hostile to God. Would you like for your life to be... You know, characterized as being hostile to God. Well, how's your relationship with God these days? Well, truthfully, I'm hostile to God. I'm searching for life and peace, but it turns out that I'm just hostile toward God. 
If only God would tell me how to not do that, then I would know. Because naturally, your sinful nature is always, it doesn't say part of the time, some of the times, on occasion, rarely, maybe, every now and then, it says always hostile to God. Your sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. I'm going to stop right there because this is a two-part sermon series apparently. There are a thousand different applications, 10,000, 5 million, 6 billion, whatever you want to say, applications to this particular passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8. Right? There are a million things you could think about that have the sinful nature versus the flesh and how it makes its reality into our lives, okay? In particular today, I want us to think about how we treat people. I want us to think about how we look at people. In particular today, I want us to to take off the sinful nature in those goggles and put them to the side and look with the Spirit. The Spirit that makes us new, we have to look at everybody else in the same way. And if they belong to Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation in them. And they are new. And we have to look at them like they are new. But we can't do it on our own. We have to do it through the power of the Spirit. If you find yourself looking at somebody through the flesh, flesh sin-filled eyes, then, then you know what you will see? You will see the fact that they have something in their past. You will see something about who they were. That's how you know whether you're being controlled by the sinful nature or the spirit. Have you ever thought about it in those terms? How I look at people is a reflection of whether I'm following the sinful nature or following the spirit of God. That is a tremendously powerful picture of what the church is supposed to look like. We as the body of believers, we as Christians, I don't care if you go to Simple Church, you go to some other church, a thousand miles away, whatever. I'm, I'm talking to the church in general. How you see people, how you look through your eyes... What you see is a direct reflection of whether or not you follow the sinful nature, your sinful flesh, which is naturally inclined to see the negative, or you look through the spirit, which is naturally inclined to see new. To see new. So here's what I want to ask you. This is a simple question, but one of those hard ones. How do you want people to see you? How do you want people to look at you? How do you want people to, to look at your life? Do you want them to see a new creation? Do you want them to see somebody who is reborn, got a new spirit, a new life, and the old is gone and the new has come? Is that how you want people to see you? If that's the case, if that's the case, that you want people to see you, man, I look, I was that way, but I'm not that way anymore. That's an old person. That old person is dead, and I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. And God gave me this spirit, and he installed it into me, and he gave me a brand new heart, and I'm different now. Your mama always said, treat other people like you want to be treated, right? If you have the spirit of God inside you, it affects what you see, 
It affects what you do. It affects what you say. If you are a person filled with God's Spirit, you're a person filled with God's grace. And you don't look at other people and say, well, I could never do that, or I could never be there, or I can't believe they did this, or I can't believe that that's in their past. Instead, you say, you know what? I'm a new creation. God made me new. I got some really bad stuff in my life, but I hope that the people see the new creation that God has made me to be. We want people to look at us that way. That's the way we have to look at people. We have to look at people with those grace-filled eyes that God had for us, where he looked at us and said, you know what, I know who you are, but I loved you anyway. I know what you did, and I know how you were hostile towards me, but I loved you anyway. so that I gave my life for you. When you see somebody and you see their past, do you look at do you look at your life and say, you know what? I know that they're messed up, but I would give my life for them. I would give them my life so that they can be made brand new. We don't we don't typically look at our lives that way, but that's the way God looked at our lives. He said, you couldn't do it on your own, so I sent my son to do it for you. Today, how do you want people to look at you? Do you want them to look at you with those grace-filled eyes, the same grace-filled eyes that God had for you? And then the other question is this, how do you look at other people? Do you look at other people through the sinful nature and the sinful flesh, or do you look at them through the Spirit? Does the Spirit rule your life, or does the sinful nature rule your life? Father, thank you so much, God, for your precious work. There are so many But I pray that if they do do that, that we would not be people that look at them with condemnation. We would look at them with grace and we would say, you know what? That is a person that needs the same grace that was bestowed upon me. We would look at them with loving eyes. God, the same loving eyes that you looked at us with. Lord, I pray that we would see things with the spirit and not with the flesh. Lord Jesus, you do the rescuing work right now. Maybe some people in here feel beat down because that down at your altar and say, God, I'm done with this. I'm done with worrying about what people think. God, I just want to worry about what you think. And people that don't look at me with spirit-filled eyes, God, I'm not going to worry about what they think. Maybe some people have been crushed by that. Maybe that's happened this week. God, whatever the case, God, your Holy Spirit, we ask that you move in this place. That life-giving Spirit, we ask that you would move in this place. And that power that he 